0: just really quickly, Tim, to your question of like what hasn't worked, I feel like the lesson I learn over and over again is that it doesn't work when we try and say, here's our, our hunch about how people are going to want to respond. So here's what we're offering you. Every time we can make a choice to push something towards people's individual choice, their own autonomy, their own Capacity to respond. Those are the things that work the best rather than trying to come up with a single policy that works for everyone or a single mechanism that works for everyone.
1: Hi, I'm Tim Sanova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. Earlier this year, podcasting's favorite co host, Lauren Ruffin, and I produced Work Shouldn't Suck's Ethical Reopening Summit. The event took place online Tuesday, April 27th and featured eight sessions, 25 amazing speakers, and covered a whole host of topics related to the ethical reopening of workplaces amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We raced to produce the summit from start to finish in just three weeks as we felt the urgency and stress mounting as workplaces were in the midst of reopening decisions. Several months on, we still feel the content is as necessary as ever, so we decided to release each of the sessions in podcast form. In each of the eight sessions, you'll hear the conversations just as the summit attendees did. As a reminder, in late April 2021, COVID vaccine distribution was just gaining speed, and we had yet to begin hearing about the Delta variant. From that vantage point in time, it very much looked like by fall 2021, things might be settling back into somewhat of a quote-unquote normal routine. As I record this preamble in fall 2021, that's not the case. We're now talking about breakthrough infections, booster shots, schools reopening and closing again, hospital ICUs are packed in states across the U.S., and still how to safely gather indoors as temperatures again begin to drop with the change in seasons. In this session, Policies and Practices for Hybrid Org Arrangements, I'm joined by Adam Garrett, Michelle Ramos, and Laura Zabel as we discuss how you can create and maintain equitable policies and practices when your team works across differing on-site and remote arrangements. So, let's jump over to the conversation. Oh, a quick note about the audio quality in a few sections of this episode. You'll notice in a place or two that the audio quality and clarity is, let's just say, less than ideal. The source file that came from the Summit platform included these glitches. So while we did our best to clean them up in post-production, we couldn't fix them all. That said, this is a terrific conversation, audio glitches and all. Apologies for the added adventures in audio quality, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Workplace Policies and Practices for Hybrid Organizational Arrangements session, where we'll be diving into and discussing how to create and maintain equitable policies and practices when our team works across differing on-site and remote arrangements. A reminder about the Q&A section and the chat section. If the chat gets too lively, put your questions in the Q&A, but I'll keep scrolling back and forth through both to try and pick up the questions and comments for the group here. I'm Tim Sanova, uh, a white man with short to medium messy brown hair i'm wearing blue rectangular glasses i have salt and pepper unshaven look right now i'm wearing a black zipped up sweater that has a blue dress shirt and blue tie underneath and i'm sitting in front of a wood panelled wall i'm so excited for this session some of truly my some of my favorite people from some of my favorite organizations Lauren Ruffin and I were talking about this before, we were saying like, we, it feels like everyone's our favorite, but no, we just happen to know some really cool people who all said yes to this. And so this is, this is really exciting for me to be in a community with Adam Garrett, who's the Operations Manager for National Performance Network, Michelle Ramos, the Executive Director of Alternate Roots, and Laura Zabel, Executive Director of Springboard for the Arts. Adam, Michelle, and Laura, welcome to the summit. Thanks, Tim. So to kick things off, why don't we go in that order? Adam, Michelle, and Laura, how do you typically introduce yourself? And as you think about creating workplaces where people can thrive, equitable policies and practices, hybrid org working arrangements, what does all of that mean and look like to you?
2: Good afternoon, everybody. Adam Garrett, black male, buzzed head, beard, salt and pepper, more more salt now these days, brass-rimmed glasses. I'm wearing a, basically a purple sweater with a blue jean jacket over it with a little pendant on it, speaking in front of a, basically a bedroom wall and a little lamp off to the side, brown lamp to the side. How we envision, or how I envision, I'll speak on us and, and the processes that we're beginning here at, at the National Performance Network, is we have an open environment, so we're transitioning, which the pandemic is push it forward to more of a truly hybrid form. So how does that look is, you know, we can work remotely from either at home or since we have a lot of artists on staff, so they can do, do the work too. So that can be anywhere in the country, the world, you know, eventually. And, and what we do for contemporary artists, we is space transitioning that to uh, more inducive to hybrid works. So there's more areas where they can confer. We have our little meetings come in, Get away from the assigned desk or a specific desk. There will be workstations, but it's more of one of those hop in, hop out lounge setup, which is kind of the environment that we have amongst the staff. It's carefree and it's, it's more us. And so that's how we envision it. And that comes with its ups and downs, but so far it's been, you know, we made it work through the pandemic. And, and, and we're building on that, I'll say that.
3: I think I'm next. It's good to see everyone, or at least see you in the chat, so I can't actually visually see you. My name is Michelle Ramos. I use pronouns she, her, hers. I'm calling in from an ancestral lands of Albania, now known as New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm wearing a black and white striped dress. I have brown skin. I am Afro-Latina, and I have a curly mop of salt and pepper hair on my head. I'm the executive director of Alternate Roots. Alternate Roots is celebrating its 45th anniversary this year. And as part of our work environment, we actually were and have been a remote office pre-pandemic, basically since I came on board as executive director in 20. 18. We have always had folks that were remote, but when I came in, we made a decision to go 100% remote because for the work that we do, we need to be on the front lines. We need to be where our members are in our communities. We are across 14 states in the South. So for us, there's intention around that. There is intention around wanting to have uh, close access and be uh, in regular communication and in community with our, with our members. So for us, the pandemic wasn't necessarily a shift in, in how we work, but definitely um, as a predominantly BIPOC-run uh, organization and staffed organization, We, you know, we really had to take a little bit closer look at some of the things that we were offering in the way of support, the support working from home benefits, health and wellness, things like that, you know, during this time, because our folks uh, were the most impacted, you know, uh, across our states with respect to things like the racial uprising and other events that happened both during the pandemic and post-pandemic, and and even now with the freezes across the South. So, you know, we really pride ourselves in being a people-centered organization and not a process-centered organization. And so that is sort of our guiding principle. We're not perfect. Uh, We do make mistakes and we do learn. But by centering people and by centering the staff, we have found that that has provided an equitable and a healthy environment for everyone. So I'll stop there.
0: Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Laura Zabel. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the executive director of Springboard for the Arts. And Springboard is based in Minnesota, which is the homeland of the Dakota and Ojibwe people. And Springboard is based both in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis and in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And I am here in my home in Minneapolis on the second floor under the gable. And I am a white woman with brownish blonde hair. and wearing a gray shirt with little white flowers on it and sitting in front of my bookcase and some of my needle craft that I've done over the last year to keep my hands off my phone. <laughs> I come to this conversation and I think Springboard comes to this conversation certainly with the recognition that this is always a learning process and I think certainly the last year for everyone has sort of brought into relief that like context always matters and that the conditions that our staff and our constituents and our communities in are changing all the time. And that means that we have to think about and change the way that we support people and the way that we work together all the time based on the context we're working in and the pressures and opportunities and needs of our communities. I think specifically from a practical perspective, there are several pieces of how Springboard is structured that influence how we think about workplace policies and practices, especially as it relates to remoteness and impersonness and togetherness and diffuseness. The first is that Springboard is run by and for artists. We have a staff of 17 folks and everyone on the staff has their own artistic practice. And so that has meant that the organization has always been rooted in trying to create policies that make space for people to continue that artistic practice um, because it's a huge part of who we are and it's a huge additional value to the organization. The other piece that's been really influential in this area is that now for 10 years Springboard has had these two locations in both urban and rural settings Um, and so that's demanded a whole different set of tools of working across those geographies you know from the like big picture understanding of each other's context all the way to like facility with online Zoom sort of situations. (laughs) Going into last spring, we had a little bit of a head start. Our staff already was pretty comfortable, um, you know, using Zoom, for example, to talk to each other and communicate across the locations. We also for about a decade have had what some people call a results oriented work environment, which means that we don't track time off and we don't track hours. We people have their jobs and they're free to do those jobs wherever it suits them um, and whenever it suits them. And I would say as a counterbalance to some of those things, we also, both of our locations, the one in St. Paul and the one in Fergus Falls are both community spaces. So they aren't only office spaces, they're spaces that the community uses and needs. And a big part of our mission is local place-based holding of space for our communities. And so that is an in-person endeavor for the most part. Although we've found ways to do that over the last year, there's still an important piece of our work that is about people coming together and being in shared space. So all of those things are kind of these counterbalancing forces and ideas that are the foundation for how we think about this work and how we try and always be learning and and trying to figure out what else we can do to better support the people who work at Springboard. You all
1: have just... Similar and different ways in which you're approaching this work. And one of the things I love about about all of you and your organizations is this didn't start last March, as we've heard. This has been, you've been experimenting, iterating, making mistakes, backing up and going a different direction. It's putting a lot of intentionality and and purpose into this, just to center people and not just policies, as, as Michelle said. As we start to think about this reopening how are you all thinking about it? What are you trying to hold with the new and different things that are present in the workplace, in the world, or maybe if they're not new, they're weighted maybe differently. So what's going through your mind and how are you personally, and then maybe as an organization, starting to talk about and plan for this this next stage?
2: That's one thing that currently is how do we open and what does that look like? Been that um, piggybacking, excuse me, on what Michelle said, we are we center what we do around our, especially in office, around the staff. So we began that in our staff quarterly, like last week, when we discussed how do you envision working in the future? Because we you know we're pushing for you know remote working, but also one thing that's special about our group is we we enjoy working with each other. So you have to when we, when, when I think about us opening, it's not putting anyone else in harm's way. And being respectful of their wishes or how they feel, so we began that conversation, and and that's playing a big role because I knew we would gradually open or in this new space that we're creating. But it says too, you have to. We will respect and take in everyone's opinion on how or feeling on how they want to do this this new opening. Also, incorporating you know the the right protocols, what's available and all those things and reinforcing that where we being be remote is okay. And it's okay not to come in if you don't want to come in and, and there's no, you know, animosity or you put in any position just because, and that's where our conversations lead or where we start and where we have started. And that has done, that's affected me a lot. And it's just a big, a big thing. And further say when we do open, I you know, in something like spring, not spring, I'm sorry, fall, but when we have, because, you know, you want to be intentionally like, oh, we're going to do this month or whatever, then in the conversation, you realize, no, you can't just be a specific time. It's about procuring a safe space, and that's a challenge in itself, but, you know, we're always up for it here at MPN.
0: Yeah, I feel like all of, the, probably, it will be a broken record. I feel like all of these questions have to start with, well, I mean, we don't really know, right? <laughs> like things change all the time. We are sort of planning for the reality that, you know, our best guess at what the reality is of the next six months. But I think so much of what's needed and necessary right now is to be, you know, like Adam's saying, be in communication with your staff, with your constituents, with your stakeholders, with your community. And, Be clear and transparent that we don't know everything and that we're going to have to kind of walk through this together in terms of actually reopening our spaces. What we're planning on right now is that we're going to use the summertime to pilot some things and kind of learn. particularly public-facing things that we can do outside. We have outdoor space, so we're really lucky in that regard. And that that also for the staff, I think, gives us an opportunity to kind of try out some things without sort of needing a huge, this is how it's going to be. We can you know pull back on those things. We can increase them if they feel good, if people are, you know, if the context changes. So that's our plan. And then, like, similar, it sounds like, to to NPN, you know, looking towards the fall of trying to, you know, kind of anticipate and think about what might be possible in terms of us working in the office together some of the time in the fall. I think an important factor, certainly for our staff that a factor that touches a lot of our staff in addition to, you know, all of the things around safety, which of course are the first priority are, you know, other other issues that, the, you know, this isn't happening in a vacuum. So we have staff who have a lot of child care challenges, for example, when school is not in session or when summer camps are not happening. And so I think thinking about not just are we in our little bubble safe in this space? Are we vaccinated? Is every, we have a hand washing protocol, all of those things which are also important, but like what are the other community issues that touch us and touch the staff? And that's different for everyone, right? Like people don't have the same circumstances or the same responsibilities in their lives. And so being able to set policy that takes into account the other responsibilities for caretaking, for community, And for taking care of yourself also, I think, is another important
3: piece. I'd love to piggyback on that really quickly. I just agree with everything everyone has said. And for us, you know, there is no reopening because we don't have an office. But there is this sort of reopening of, of conferences. And for us, our Roots Week, which is our annual convening, which is the thing everybody you know, wants to be a rooter for us to come to this annual convening, you know, we had to have some serious conversations and discussions around what's the right move here. But it started with the staff. What did the staff feel comfortable with was the first consideration. And then to your point, Laura, what are our members going through, right? Because sure, maybe as a staff, we feel safe and maybe we're able to, you know, pull off a roots week. But what hardship is that putting on our members who have been financially just destroyed by the pandemic and loss of jobs to say, hey, we're gonna throw a big Roots Week in person and come on down. Oh, right, none of y'all have money. Oh, sorry, you know, (laughs) like it was about, you know, this broader context of like, you know, what is, what are our members, our constituents, you know, are they even healed financially? To be able to come to North Carolina to a Roots Week, like that was a real consideration for us. That said, we also know we have rooters who are dying to meet in person and are like really frustrated because we are not doing any in-person meetings till 2022. Period. But what we've offered is we are allowing them, or I shouldn't say allowing them, but actually, you know, encouraging them and be willing to financially support them to do self-organized spaces. In the places where they are, right. So if y'all are absolutely dying to get together in Atlanta, we won't stop it from happening. We will even, you know, financially help support to make that happen. But we're not going to demand folks come to, you know, Roots Week. And, and it was a hard, a hard call this year. Last year was no brainer. This year was hard because this is what makes Roots Roots. So it's like taking the soul of the organization, you know, out uh, of it when you're not able to meet in person. And although we we did a great job doing virtual Roots Week last year, it's just not the same, y'all. It's just not the same.
1: I've been able to know all of you and your organizations and and certainly benefit every time we talk. Uh, And we've talked multiple times over this past year. Like, what are you doing? Like, what's your policy for this? How are you approaching the lead up to the, the federal election in the United States on November 3rd? What are you doing on November 4th? What are you doing in the period between the election and the inauguration? How are you taking care of staff? Can you talk about what you feel has been maybe the most meaningful policy or practice during this time that your organization has offered and provided and then flip side it with maybe not even just from this time but like what if you try to be like this is going to be awesome if people were like that is horrible so you, know, you can pros and cons here what sort of tangible things have, have you been doing that re- relate to to the topic
0: i'll take a run at it i mean i said i'm talking to you from my home in minneapolis about a mile from where Mr. George Floyd was murdered. Amongst the other intersecting crises that came before and continue, it has been, I don't know, the only word I have for it is intense to be in this community this year. And our staff are connected to their own communities in all kinds of different ways and hold a lot of different identities and roles in their communities. and figuring out how to support people to take care of themselves and their families and their communities and recognizing that for some of the staff their work is also a part of how they do that and springboard's role in our community the expectations that people have for support from us <laughs> also make it so that you know there's i think for us as i'm sure for a lot of organizations there's always this tension between you know, feeling like you can, we can't always just shut it down, <laughs> even though that maybe feels like the moment we're in and feeling like there are times absolutely when it we got to just shut it down, whether it feels like we can or should or not. Uh, I think like, I don't know if any of this is helpful tips. I'll just say maybe it's helpful to acknowledge for folks to have some shared experience that trying to do this work of taking care of our staff supporting them making sure they have what they need inside an organization that is operating you know we're all still operating inside capitalism inside white supremacy like that that's a real that'll real mess with your mind I'll just say <laughs> walk a long way around to not say the f word there and I think that's been the challenge like that's been the work it was the work before but it's definitely been the work of the last year maybe I'll try and leave you with a few practical things. We have closed the office more than we ever have. And and even though we're working remotely, I use close the office to mean like clear the schedule, publicly say, we're not doing anything right now, don't expect a reply. And we started doing that more because it's a practice that Springboard had in the past. Actually, we've always taken a week in the summer and a week in the winter and closed the office because it gives us some shared time away. So it was a thing that we looked to because we knew we were already good at that. We had that practice. So it was a good practice for us to pick up and say, we could do that actually more often. We just did it last week after the verdict. We closed office for three days so people could focus on other things. So we've used that practice. We've also... Tried to financially resource the staff, especially last summer, to be able to be in their community and contribute to things or be part of things or help folks out outside of their work at Springboard. So people had some financial resources to put towards things. Just really quickly, Tim, to your question of like what hasn't worked, I feel like the lesson I learn over and over again is that it doesn't work when we try and say, Here's the way we'd like you. Here's our hunch about how people are going to want to respond. So here's what we're offering you. Every time we can make a choice to push something towards people's individual choice, their own autonomy, their own capacity to respond, those are the things that work the best rather than trying to come up with a single policy that works for everyone or a single
3: mechanism that works for everyone. Laura, the, we did health and wellness day. Twelve and 2020, where things were just intense and folks needed, you know, time away from the office. We've always given two weeks off at the end of every year, but uh, now we've added a week, total week off. Like you're saying, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, right? So it it requires a lot of listening and hearing and maybe be lost in sort of what you're offering. This kind of speaks a little bit to Matt's question in the chat. You know, I've got staff members who were on maternity leave in, in 2020. How does that balance when you can have folks that you know don't have that benefit that we can like um, we have uh, full time staff, but the remainder of our staff, which is up to nine now, are all part time staff working artists, right? So they all lost their gig work. You know, at the top of the pandemic, we have to try to like lift those hours up, thinking that would be enough. But what they really like, we found out later on the hard way. Um, was they were like, we we need mental health care. We, and I don't have benefits. So now that a health care stipend they can use either to sign up for a plan or to, as they need, you know, for, for health care benefits. But wasn't need to be transparent and vulnerable about that, to say that. Like, I'm like, we have to do something. And that I think is a benefit that we will continue moving forward, you know, permanently. So You know, I think the lesson is, it's not one size fits all. And if they are going to be committed to a people-centered environment, and that all your people may not need all and need to be responsive and pivot, you know, based on what their needs are, if you're truly committed to it.
2: You know, but no, that's the truth. It's one more response, but that is the essence of, you know, where we are today is where we started. A few years ago, just like you said, you give, give a break in the summer, and the spring, we do the same thing, uh, especially the summer break. I and mean, you don't realize how important those things are until you actually live it. Because, you know, we were always, you know, back in, like I said, a year or so ago, we were all about, you know, work remotely. How do you want to work? And it's one thing when you tell somebody that and then for somebody to actually be able to do it or feel comfortable enough to do it. And and that's one thing I, I give with the leadership here at NPN now, what we're doing is, you know, we're being really, you know, other than intentional, we're being like, yes, 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 if, you know, you can do this. You can work however you want. And and they're promoting, which is if you need to break away, do whatever, do it. And it's okay. You know, there's no getting in trouble or anything out that. That's big. And I will tag along or add on. That, you know, one thing as an organization, you know, like what I mentioned earlier about setting up a specific time or month to say we're going to try to open this time, that's not good. You know, the best thing to do is, is to ask, to get that feedback, to see where people are and be like, hey, the space is available to you whatever you needed and how and, and this X, Y, and Z, but you're not we're not specifically saying Wednesdays you got to show up or something like that, because that's not what we're about. That's not what we're wanting to do. And especially for how we've been working and how we want to work. This is the, the natural evolution of our organization. And I don't know, just thinking about it in the plan. It's just not everyone gets that opportunity to work like that, work in an environment where you can do meaningful work and love where you work at the same time too. So I don't know. That's just my thing
1: the concept of autonomy taking a course like a people analytics course a couple of years ago and i came across this research study and i'm going to get the exact numbers wrong but it was really eye opening to me they studied a group of people and gave them like 20% autonomy so in, in a decision they had 20% autonomy and people were were happy with that decision if they had 20% they're happy with it 70% of the time And then they said, all right, so the next group is to get 10% autonomy. You got 10% agency autonomy in this decision. People were were like roughly 70% happy with it. And there's like, all right, you get 2%. You just get to say yes or no, essentially to it. And people were like 60% happy with it. And so it was talking about like trying to make, you know, policies that are inclusive and like fit different People's like way of wanting to work and live, like where's the two percent that we can? Because it's to Laura, to your point, like here's this great thing: here's the four day work week. We didn't ask for the four day work week. You're gonna love it. And they're like, okay, well, we gotta walk this one back. But like, where's the two percent here to say like, yeah, there maybe, maybe not the two percent, but like just just a little bit can go a long way to to helping people craft that workplace and the policies, especially as we hold values like equity. Which, which is we know, is not the same as equality. And from an employment law standpoint, we have at least one person who has their juris doctorate on this call, Michelle. I'm going to speak to like employment law at best is striving for equality, where everyone gets ex- exactly the same thing. Which that is not certainly not equity. And as Lauren Ruffin was saying in the first session, oftentimes what employment law is is like the floor. It's not what can we do? How can we invent new things? So I'm curious as just uh, lost the thread on that one. I'm curious who wants to unmute and save me.
3: I, I'll, I'll jump in and save you since you named me in it. But I, I do think it's the baseline, right? Like, you know, let, let's be clear, like employment law and the legal field is grounded in white supremacy. So here we go again, right? And so the idea that one size fits all in the way of you know employment for different people coming from different walks of life with different life experiences is just ludicrous. That's not a thing. Like that's not real. And it's real if you, you know, aren't interested in, in a people centered practice and you're you know you're all about product and performance and you know getting things out and turning the thing, then yeah, maybe. But if you really are interested in and in wanting to put your folks first, then, you know, that's just, you know, simply a baseline. So I, you know, that's kind of where I I land on it. And let me just be clear, like, we definitely, we have an employee handbook, we have all the things, right. But like, we totally like decolonized our handbook and put different language in and put, you know, took the legalese out. And, you know, luckily I was able to still make sure like legally it was okay but like we definitely changed the language we checked definitely changed the narratives and how things were written and you know and the staff weighed in on that and got to help draft that they got to help draft their employee handbook so just tra- kind of finding these different ways of being able for you know staff to feel like they are a part of this
0: just really quickly, I want to, what Michelle saying, I think is so important, and I think if there's something I can reinforce for folks who are listening, it is that process of just really asking the questions about all of the policies. So many of us who came up in our careers in you know, all kinds of different environments have internalized all of these things that are, are norms or that are the way things just have to be or that we sort of have some hidden assumption is like the law. Um, but if you do that, if you kind of pull those things apart, I think often you will find, oh, that's just a thing people have been doing for a really long time and you don't have to do it that way. You could actually do it a different way. Or, And I would really advocate for starting with that process of decolonizing and engaging staff and talking through what you want and then have a lawyer review it for you instead of, I feel like a lot of organizations because of their boards or whatever get pushed into like, well, you should have a lawyer write the policies for you. And I think we can take that power back in our organizations and say, we're going to start with what we want. And then my job in my role at this organization is to go to a lawyer, go to our insurance agent and advocate for things the way we want them to be. And their job is to help me make the policy that supports what the way we want to work, not the other way around.
2: Right. Because that's how we're approaching it too, is like, we have a handbook, we have all these, but what matters now is how our current staff, how do you want to work? How does that look? And a little bit like what Catherine said in that balance. And the only way to get to that, you have to start with ask them and then as an organization or the powers that be managers in each department that we have have to to listen to that and be open to whatever challenges that arise whatever questions that come in because that's the only way that you can balance all that out where we are now is is really people first, person- like organizational wise and what that looks like and that's just not how you're I can speak from it, not how i was working or even when i began on it being high and it has evolved us as an organization in such a short time to levels that of which why I came in the first place. So, and, and it's just like Lauren said earlier, Laura said earlier, excuse me, you're not going to know all the answers. It's just a matter of, I don't want to say a trial by error, but it's just a matter of on both ends, you have to be comfortable enough to say what you want, and then on the other end to, to address it. And have open lines of communications to you know handle that situation and grow both individually and as an organization.
1: Yeah, cool. Thanks. Thank you all. And I've keeping an eye on the, the chat here and the time. We have like seven more minutes left. There's this question about let's see, Catherine has about unequal treatment of employees. Like, how do you balance if some people are in the office and some people are remote? just by being in the office and seeing each other, there might be unequal treatment or unequal benefits to that. How do you handle that kind of difference when you're managing hybrid or cultures?
0: Yeah, that's really real. I think one of the things that's been sort of a silver lining of the last year of everyone being remote between Springboards, urban and rural locations, it's felt much more, you know, we all are communicating in the same way. And before that, you know, we have more staff in the urban office than we do in the rural office. And that has been a kind of source of tension and ongoing work that we've had to do around communication across the two offices, because in both places you have those kind of hallway conversations. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're three months into a project and someone's like, why did no one ever tell me about this? (laughs) And it felt like you had, you know, talked it out. So I think in some ways we've really benefited over the last year of like, everybody knows who's been in loop and who hasn't because we've all had to communicate in the same way. I think from a practical perspective, as we think about what it might look like to be in a more, in a more hybrid where there is an option for some in person, I think we will probably have some times during the week where, where we ask folks to be in the office. We have an every other week. We have a practice right now of an every other week, all staff meeting. And then on the off weeks, we hold two hours on Tuesdays that we call study hall that is essentially time when we all hold so that it's easy for us to schedule meetings with each other. And we don't have to spend a bunch of our own time and energy scheduling internal meetings. We can just say, oh, we'll do that during study hall. So I think it's pretty likely that those will be times that we ask folks to be in person in the office so that we So that nobody kind of drifts away and never has any contact in person,
3: (laughs) while we kind of retain the ability to be flexible with the majority of people's time. I'll jump in. Actually, I forgot to to mention this at the top, but we, you know, pre-COVID, even though we were in 100% remote office, we did meet three times a year in person. We would pick different locations so we could engage with members of our communities in the different regions that we were in, and then of course that went to all virtual, and so. That'll probably remain virtual for most of 2021, but we hope to get back to those in-person convenings, both for our staff and for our board, which has been part of our regular practice. So that face-to-face time matters. And then every week we have a two-hour staff meeting time that is held so that we're having you know, virtual face-to-face time anyway. But yeah, that in-person piece, is we've missed it a lot. It was really meaningful. And so we're eager and anxious and hungry. To get back to those in-person convenings when we're
2: able on that we do our staff meeting weekly virtual now of course but what we do too, since most of i think everyone except for one person the, the newest addition to our staff is in new orleans so we intentionally meet in a park once a month we have a you know covid friendly safe park thing because that's important that's always been important for us is our interaction and our camaraderie and that's why you know when we think about when we come back into the office that's why we will have something like where there's a day that is like the in-person day when that is i don't know but that's something that's i think vital for us and and what we do on staff and for the organization overall health and too and then you know convenings. that's a whole nother big game we didn't have was last year you know most likely not this year as well maybe a virtual version of that and this process will help with high loads too in the very near future because that'll come up quicker than you think but it's just a balance of, of figuring out that it just goes back to you know as best as the organizations the people within the the staff is it's just the open lines of communication and just say you know what it is that you need even if you don't know sometimes you know what you need just just but have the access to say i need time or whatever and that's what i hope and i know we will provide for everyone there
1: well and as we're starting to to land the plan here with two minutes left a quick question that I think goes into thoughts from each of you about what are your recommendations and resources that folks might want to explore? This is a broad topic, and there's a lot of different places where people can turn. Where do you turn for when you're thinking about different ways of working and being? And the specific question is, for people interested in decolonizing their employee handbook, did you go to any resources to to help start that process, or was it just you did it all of yourself so to each of you resources and recommendations for folks and if you want to pick up the decolonized employee handbook question and i know laura you dropped something in about results or in work environment about row so let's go in in the adam laura michelle um order if that works for everyone the way we started
2: of us, ours kicked up, I guess, when I did like PSAP training. So when we started doing those kind of outside training, that's when we really started transitioning. So those that's like a good resource. Any of those those organizations is where we started, aside from, you know, Googling in some stuff and here or there, that's pretty much how where we started. And then, you know, of course, the last couple of years we've taken a break just because of COVID and other things. But where we made it on ourselves. So a good resource is the staff itself. Just asking that question sometimes of what what do you need, honestly speaking. You know, sometimes I'll just say this from especially when we do our staff retreats or anything quarterly. It's amazing the information we get from in house, and we don't even have to go out just because of the knowledge that's there. And that you'll realize you can just, that's a great way to start, I'll just say.
0: Yeah, I mean, echoing Adam, I think starting with your staff and like I was saying earlier, really giving, I think the biggest thing is giving yourself permission to ask those questions and to sort of interrogate those practices. And I think permission and sort of a mandate and some urgency around like the work, particularly work to make our organizations more equitable more sustainable for the people who work there can't only be the external program facing work. Like the way that we, I mean, I say this all the time. the The easiest way I can say it is that Springboard's mission is about helping artists make a living and a life. So if this organization doesn't take care of the 17 artists who work here, then what are we even doing? Like then we might as well just pack it up. Like it has to start there. Otherwise we don't have any foundation to build that work on. So I think a lot of it is really committing the time and energy to, you know, have those conversations about some of those policies that have been probably sitting on the shelf for decades, maybe that have never been questioned or asked. And I think the other really good resource is other folks in the field, other people, both in nonprofits, but also people who work in movement organizations and organizers. And I have Learned quite a lot from folks on my board. I think sometimes for folks who work in social justice or in nonprofits, we have this sort of impression that, you know, big companies are not good at this work. And that's certainly true in some cases. But I also have had board members who have brought really innovative and interesting ideas in terms of how their companies are supporting their employees through their board role. And then I'm also going to put in the chat, there's a really great podcast that's produced here locally in Minnesota called Behave. That's all about equitable workplaces and policies and touches on some of the things we talked about today, but also gets into like how you think about holidays and time off related to those kinds of things. So I'll just put the link here
3: short because I know we're close on time. I think everybody on this call is a resource, quite frankly. And I think like, you know, really reaching out to colleagues in the field, folks that are doing this work, Alternate Roots has a deep bench of consultants who do just this kind of work. And so we definitely can make referrals, make recommendations, and we are a total transparent organization. So, If you're interested in what a decolonized employee handbook looks like, reach out, let us know. We're happy to share that. We're an open book, no pun intended, when it comes to sharing resources and the way we're doing things. We also decolonized our staffing structure this year. So if you go to the Alternate Roots website, we totally took the hierarchical practice out of it. We took the titles away, which we felt were very colonized and created our own radical creative titles and now we're tackling the bylaws. So yeah, we're in the process as well. But, you know, colleagues in the field oftentimes are the best resources that you have.
1: And I have pages in my notebook, as expected for things to follow up thoughts. So Adam, Laura, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight during this session. And Thank you so much for being part of the summit.
3: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here.
1: Find more about the Ethical Reopening Summit, including speaker bios and session recaps at workshouldnsuck.co backslash ethical-reopening-summit-2021. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or a five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. Until next time,